Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life, behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. I'm so glad that you're back with me as we continue our series on detangling identity and head into today's topic on crafting control. I have a hunch this topic might draw more listeners than others, because who doesn't want to feel more in control? I mean, if I could identify one common trait most characteristic of those who work in first response and frontline work, the top trait would be a heart for helping, and very closely second to that would be a tendency to like being in control. Some might call it having a type A personality Others might say that it's a get-or-done kind of attitude. Whatever we might characterize it as, many who work in first response and frontline work tend to excel in situations where they get to run the show or thrive in spaces where their deep knowledge and training get to shine through to make chaotic situations seem totally handled. The challenge with the kind of work you do is that while it draws people who enjoy feeling in control, it's an unending stream of -of out-of-control mess. Whether it's the calls or the work-related risks or the organizational dynamics, there is so much that happens that is not in our control. So what do you think that means when we've enmeshed our sense of identity, our sense of self, with our work? U.S. Marine Corps veteran and behavioral scientist Dr. Kevin Gilmartin wrote the book Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement and summarizes this so well. He says, quote, if the job becomes your life and you don't control your job, then you don't control your life, end quote. Nailed it. I said during last week's episode that your work is a really important part of who you are, but the key is remembering and being intentional about keeping it a part, a portion, just a piece. Think of it like a pie chart. Work is a valuable piece of who you are. It says something about you, that you do what you do. But if the piece of the pie chart your work occupies is the biggest slice of the pie or outweighs the amalgamation of several other slices of the pie, then your balance is out of whack and you need to go back to last week's episode to take a look at how you rebalance it. If your work piece of the pie is dictating too much about who you are, how you feel, 
and how you value yourself in your world or experience value in the world, then you're running some serious risks. And Dr. Gilmartin is hitting it on the head. Our work is so often outside of our control. The job is literally responding to crisis. The defining nature of crisis is not in control. And while we're trained to enter into the chaos and intervene to help, the truth is that we can only ever do so much. And it's almost always reactive, which feels much less in control than preventative or responsive. On top of that, even within the organizational framework, we can often feel at risk of an adversarial or blatantly aggressive or hostile workplace dynamic that further undermines our sense of stability or control. Decisions that affect us are made without consultation and we're left to hold the repercussions. If this is what we're using to define us, no wonder so many are burning out, experiencing mental health concerns and struggling to continue. When I make my identity tied to something that is so unstable, it's internally destabilizing. As we internalize an identity that defines us based on an environment and experience that can be so tumultuous, we internalize the chaos and the helplessness and the lack of control. And these features start to increasingly take hold inside of us and dictate how we feel, how we think, and how we engage in our lives. This is why it is so deeply risky to make work our life. Now, I'm going to say again that work is, of course, an important part of your life. Yes, you have to work to pay the bills. And yes, you are allowed to love your work, feel passionately about the work you do, and invest deeply into the work you care about, just not exclusively or mindlessly. I'm not asking you to not do your job. Really, what I want is the opposite of that. I want you, with all of the amazing skill, training, and experience you've acquired, to be a kick-ass contributor to the work for a long, long time to come. Our communities need you. They need skilled, experienced people who are passionate about the work and committed to being in the thick of it. But we're losing really great people, veteran skilled staff, because the job got too big and swallowed them whole. What I want for you is to be mindful and intentional about keeping the job in its place as a piece of the pie. And in so doing, I want you to craft something that's far more sustainable, something that keeps you able to remain in the work for as long as you choose to be in it. Last week, we talked about balance and distributing our interests and sense of self across multiple pillars. An important piece of this process is anchoring to building aspects of my life that I have control over. When we spend a significant proportion of our time in a workplace that really lacks control, we need to build a life outside of that that really enhances our connection to control, even in seemingly small ways. It's also really valuable to work at implementing pieces within your work day that give some amount of control back wherever you can find it. 
There are two specific aspects to crafting control that I want to encourage you to focus on. The first is refining your values, and the second is drawing your boundaries. When it comes to refining your values, it's really a matter of taking the time to step back from the autopilot nature of life to really dig in and be intentional in thinking about what matters to you most. Life has a tendency to get us caught up in the moment-to-moment of the daily grind. We can get hung up in some of the survival mode that life calls us into. We're busy. Work life, home life, fixing the leak in my house or taking my car in for the weird noise it's been making, visiting that ailing family member, getting that call out of the blue that says my pet needs surgery or someone I care about is leaving their spouse. Life doesn't stop lifing. The pace is high and we get caught in the current of it. It's not that we intentionally fall out of living into our values. It's that we lose track of time. But then, before you know it, we have lived a life of reaction to whatever has come at us any given minute. Feeling out of control and left with that funeral question we asked last week. What would you want people to remember or say about you at your funeral? We get to that point without the time left to cast a different kind of vote for how people will talk about and remember us. When we can make the time, prioritize the space to get clear about our values and to re-clarify them on a semi-regular basis, we're more likely to shape choices that allow us to live into our values even when life keeps lifing. When you're working to refine your values, I want you to think about where in your life you have experienced a sense of control. Think back as a child or teen, as a young adult, all the way to this time in your life. When have you felt like your best self? What kinds of activities or interests brought this out in you? Where did you feel like you were owning life? What are your greatest skills? Where do you shine? And who are the people who bring the best out in you? Inventory the answers to these questions, along with that most central question that we raised last week. What would you hope that people would remember about you or say about you at your funeral? What characteristics about who you are and how you are in your life do you hope make the greatest impact on the world and those in your life? These are your values. These are the spheres of control for you. Identifying these and taking time on a semi-regular basis to reevaluate your values and how you're going about living into them is the single most important thing you can do to help build a sense of control in your life. And in crafting an increased sense of control, we help protect ourselves from the impact of the areas in our lives where we experience reduced control, like our work. As you identify your values, try to get creative in thinking about how you can connect to these. It may not be the same, and it may not be perfect, but aim for close approximations. For example, one of the areas in my life where I've experienced a high degree of control and feeling in my element has been while dancing. As a kid, I was a highly competitive dancer, 
and later taught highly competitive dancers to pay my way through university. As a child, I didn't feel good at very much, but dance was easy for me. It felt natural. It felt like the only place I really belonged. And for much of my life, it has been a central aspect of my coping. That said, my life is no longer conducive to being at a studio for four hours of classes, six days a week. And I'm pretty sure my body would break in half if I tried to attempt the splits right now. Dance can't occupy the same space in my life as it used to. And while I wish it looked a certain way, even my wish isn't really an option right now. So my version of close approximations looks like taking the parts of dance I cared about most and putting them into my daily life. I love the music, the heavy bass, strong beat, and having it on so loud you could feel it in your bones. So when I exercise in the evenings once my kids are in bed, I do it in the basement far away from everybody to my favorite playlist with our good speaker system. I also loved the spontaneity of it, making things up, moving for the sake of movement, that dance like no one is watching kind of feeling, I guess. So my kids and I crank some ridiculous songs and bust out our most fantastic moves and just let go for a few minutes. And it's wonderful. Someday I might get back into a class, and when I do, I know it'll feel great. But until then, close approximations give me the chance to feel aspects of that best version of myself at least a little bit. I get to hold that feeling of being in control of something, being in control of my body, in control of the music I choose, in control of the mood I have as I choose to do something I love, in control of the choice to choose something for me. Yes, it's temporary, but it also carries with me, and it's better than nothing. This brings us to boundaries. Boundaries are the other vital aspect of crafting control because they help us protect what we value and protect us from what lives outside of our values. But this is why it's important that we know and name our values first, because without that, it's hard to protect something we can't identify. Now, we've talked about boundaries on the show before, and I've shared about the idea of internal and external boundaries. If you've done the Beating the Breaking Point online program that I offer, you'll know that I also talk quite a bit about this same topic in way more depth there. For today, we're going to focus this same concept on the idea of crafting control. So as a quick refresher, external boundaries are the ones we set with other people. These are the things we say out loud, like, no, I won't be able to get to that email until I'm back on Monday. I don't check my work email outside of work time. Wouldn't that be crazy? External boundaries clarify your values to others so they know what to reasonably expect of you. It sets everyone up for success because it's clear and allows people to be on the same page. On the flip side, internal boundaries are boundaries we have in our own heads. We may never say them out loud to anyone ever. They're the lines and limits we acknowledge within ourselves where, how, and when I spend my time and energy, my commitment to be in bed at a certain time each night because it allows me to be my best self the next day, my line-limiting screens, my choice to commit to connecting with a person or the people who bring out the best in me, 
and so on. The combination of internal and external boundaries should be working toward helping me focus in on what I can control and those spaces where I feel like my best version of myself. So what about when we have to be in spaces that we can't control or where it's hard to be a version of ourselves we feel good about? Well, truth is that's going to happen. It's the reality of this life. But even in the things we can't control, we can find bits of control. I remember a time a number of years ago when my husband signed us up for a co-ed slow pitch team. I almost killed him. Let me clarify that while I have always been a fairly athletic person thanks to my intense dance background, I was never someone who participated in group sports outside of gym class. Dance was a heavy commitment and there was never time for anything else. So at this point in history, I hadn't played baseball since junior high. I didn't even own a glove. So feeling very not in control of this, I took control of the things I could. I went out and bought the pinkest pink glove I could find. Right or wrong, I figured it would shape people's perceptions of me walking on the field. I figured the girl with the hot pink glove likely wouldn't be taken too seriously. Open with low expectations. It totally worked, too. I worked hard and practiced and improved, although I was never particularly good. I could do what needed doing. I controlled what I could. I controlled my actions and practicing and trying my best. I controlled shaping expectations placed on me right from the get-go. And I controlled my mindset, choosing to own that I'm not good at this, but I value being someone who tries and who puts in the work even when it's hard. I don't value baseball, but I do value being seen as someone who's willing to risk and try things. While the activity was not something where I shone, some of my values really got to shine. My character of being a good sport no matter what and trying hard, that did shine, and I was proud of that. When you think about your work and the ways it invites you to over-identify with it, try to work at detangling the job title from your identity, but allow yourself to connect to the characteristics about you that you love and value in you that your profession highlights or allows to shine. And as you do that, look for places in your life outside of the job where those characteristics can also shine so that you're building a life that includes your job, but not exclusively your job as defining of you. Keep asking, who am I? Keep connecting with the question of who you want to be remembered as, and keep working to craft a life that moves you in the direction toward that being the reality. As we wrap up today, I want to remind you to please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. You know I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. I love hearing about what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on the show. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, where you can follow me or tag me, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. I'm grateful that many of you have been keen to share about Behind the Line and spread the word to others on the front lines. Know that if you're wanting to share this with others, we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. Click subscribe to get alerts about our latest episodes or subscribe to our email list to hear from me about all the exciting things we have going on and coming up. We've got some big stuff coming soon. 
You'll find all the details you need in the show notes, along with links to our Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, which can help facilitate self-assessing burnout and related concerns. We make and create all of this for you guys because what you do matters, but more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to do what you do well and sustainably, both on the job and off. So use it, share it, and until next time, stay safe.